One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. It's also important to note that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs and theirs alone. Not everyone will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say. So please try and keep that in mind. Today's podcast is my guest's version of events, and there'll always be others who see it differently. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on all those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this my own podcast. I still pinch myself, but thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. The boat's on fire and it's sinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, you know, coppers often play tricks on each other. So they all thought it was a bit of a joke, not knowing. He had to bring his wife and say, no, really, I am, I'm sinking. Uh, Hello. Now, We've spoken with today's guest, David Key, a number of times. And just in case you haven't listened to his last few, if you've been under a rock or something, uh, David was a tactical flight officer with the Victoria Police Air Wing. Uh, David's 30-plus years as a member of the Victoria Police Air Wing has given him a mountain of experiences and some you could only describe as heroic, some amusing, some frightening, and some heartbreakingly sad. And so many of the rescues that he was involved in were dangerous beyond dangerous. His own safety seemed to be secondary. David and his crew have attended more car accidents, missing persons and people trapped than you and I have had hot dinners. But he took it all in his stride and it was just another day at work for him. Dave's strength, physical strength, needed to be way beyond normal. But it was and still is no doubt his mental strength 
that I wish I'd had some of. It was why he was so good at what he did. In times of panic and chaos, Dave was the calm and measured one. But then he had to be. He saw it as a job that he had to do. With many people alive today because of David and his crew's courage and strength. Today, we're going to talk about some of Dave's more memorial incidents, memorable, <laughs> memorial, uh, memorable incidents that he attended, other than the tragic Sydney to Hobart yacht race of 1998 or the Black Saturday bushfires, which we've covered before. So, uh, thanks again, Dave. Uh, last time we spoke, you were the sidekick to your wife cooking some apricot jam. And I know you both enjoy your cooking. So what has been on the lunch menu today? Because it often gives me um, a little bit of an idea for dinner. <laughs> Good afternoon, Narelle. Well, I've actually cooked chicken Thai curry for lunch today. And uh, Vicky is busy getting ready to preserve some olives at the moment. So that's keeping us out of mischief. Oh, fantastic, Dave. Fantastic. Um, so we've had a chat about what we'd like to talk about today. And there's so many interesting, fascinating stories that you've got in that mind of yours. But We've come up with a few different ones today, and before we start, um, what we are going to start with, with uh, Dave and I discussing, I just want people to keep in mind that the incident that David is going to talk about, firstly, it doesn't have a good ending, and I need to make it make sure that the listeners out there understand that we're not making light of what occurred, but there are just some jobs that you just never forget uh, for all sorts of reasons, and this is certainly one of them, isn't it, Dave? So I might hand it over to you, the first one we discussed. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure not the only one that's uh, driven to fancy dress parties or similar, Um, but can you imagine if the police or the cops pulled us up as we were dressed? Like the one I went to, both Vicky and I were in our flannelette pyjamas on the way to a fancy dress party. So that would have been uh, very interesting for the poor copper on the ground. I must say my husband and I went to a um, fancy dress, oh, I don't know, maybe 12 months ago now, and he was dressed as a fairy. (laughs) And I must admit the whole time we were driving to this place, I kept thinking if the Cops pull us up now. I don't quite know what we're going to say, but we've obviously been in the same boat, and this story has a little bit of that attached to it, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, what it was, I was, I was actually working a, um, a stint on the air ambulance. So as part of working the police machine, I was also a crewman and a MICA paramedic assistant on the air ambulance. And one evening we received a job, uh, which was normal as a car accident, car into pole, uh, two people tra- trapped. I mean, that's, uh, that's fairly standard. So as we're flying down to the Mornington Peninsula area, we get a, a further call that the one person's been ejected and one person's still trapped in the car. So we landed and we get what's called a handover by the road crew ambulance um, service. So uh, as we're walking up with all our bags of stuff, we stop at the back of the ambulance and he starts to proceed or tell us what had actually taken place. 
and told us here there's a fella uh, in the passenger seat um, that's now deceased. He's wrapped around the pole, uh, still in his seatbelt, and the driver had been ejected. So we thought, okay, that's all right. So we got into the ambulance and they have a system where they call this is how the patient presented, which means this is what the condition they're in when they basically uh, found her on the road. Uh, but the only issue was she was naked. And we thought, oh, well, they've cut her clothes off. And the ambo goes, no, no, that's how we found her. Uh, she was just buck naked and sort of skidded across the um, the road surface. So she had quite a few injuries and taken quite a bit of skin off. Oh. So uh, uh, that was um, rather different. That's not how you're normally presented with a patient uh, when you rock up to a car accident. So they'd been skippy, uh, skinny dipping, had a bit to drink, and um, they were driving home. She's lost control, crashed into the pole, and the thing was they were both nude because we went back to the car and he was nude and, of course, she was nude and we thought, that's a little bit different, not quite what you normally come across. Yes. Uh, so uh, we sort of looking at each other going, oh, jing's any cricket. This is uh, this is one for the books. And that's um, because she went to court at a later stage and, you know, it's all it was all in the newspapers uh, that she was uh, – uh, Pete played her naked at the wheel, and uh, we we saw it firsthand. And we you know she had a, a modesty covered up. Uh, there, there was nothing, nothing sinister there, but it was just you don't often get presented with a nude driver every day. Uh, no, I I don't imagine you would. Um, and in fact, in all my years in policing, I don't think I've ever pulled over somebody in the nude. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that, that is one for the books. But I thought it was interesting, when you were telling me this story, didn't she tell a story that just didn't gel with the, the police and what they thought had occurred? Yes, yes, because she said she wasn't driving. And that was a little bit difficult when the uh, the male person in the car was wrapped around the pole, still in his seatbelt. So that was up to the, the police then to sort that out. Bit of a bit of a different one, very different. Yes, that's true. And you know, you'd never ever. I mean, we've all taken a few risks. Uh, I don't know wearing, as you know, you said you in your PJs and my husband <laughs> in his fairy outfit. I can't remember what I was, what I was wearing to this particular um, one, but it was definitely clothes. But we, you know, how you always say, "Oh my God!" If the police yeah. pulled us up, you know, what am I going to oh, say? Yeah. Oh, that. That poor young girl and the fact that somebody passed away, that is just terrible. But it's hard to imagine that somebody, when when your boyfriend, I'm assuming it's her boyfriend, is in the passenger seat with his seatbelt on and deceased, that you could actually say he was, you know, that she wasn't driving. I just... Oh, anyway, we we think differently. I, well, I, I know people think differently when they've been under... Um, stress, enormous stress, and um, well, I suppose it's the only excuse I can make for it, really. Mm, there's a lesson to be learnt there, I suppose. You know, you've been to uh, lots of motor vehicle accidents, and, and so have I, and you just think if the people had either slowed down because she was speeding, had some alcohol in her system, but uh, it's just a lesson to be learnt there. Just a couple of minutes of, you know, having fun or doing whatever, uh, everything's all all great until you hit something. 
and there's consequences um, to to people's actions. But obviously, even still today, people haven't really learnt that. Like it's not going to happen to them, and of course, that person's life has uh, has changed forever. Uh, the the driver, uh, she's got that on her on her conscience all the time. So, but it's still happening today. So I don't know how you get around that. Uh, I don't either, Dave. Yeah, I don't know how we get around it either because I've um, interviewed a number of uh, family members, um, parents generally of of young kids um, or young teenagers, young adults that have been driving and and done something uh, silly and they have paid the uh, ultimate price. You know, one lived but it's, um, you know, torn his family apart and the other one passed away and that tore the family apart. Uh, it just, it, the ripple effect just goes on and on. But I thought you were going to say when you just said then about people, there's a lesson to be learned with this particular couple. I thought you were going to say that you should always be clothed when you're driving, but that's just my mind, my um, sick mind. Uh, now, there was there was another one you were going to tell us about too. Uh, this was the... Um, the Mount Kosciuszko job. Can you tell us about this? Ah, oh, yes, yes. That was that was a, a, a very different one. Uh, as per normal, we are search and rescue uh, in the uh, police air wing, so, and we got a job for a person walking along the Alpine track up near Coriol. But this person was heading to Bansdale uh, with two plastic coal shopping bags, and that was it. So. The fellow that was working on the track sort of notified the local police. We went up there, had a briefing, and they said, can you fly along the track uh, to see if you can spot her, and then we'll send someone in to get her because, you know, walking from Corion to Bansdale uh, through the mountains there isn't uh, isn't the done thing. So they were sort of concerned for her safety. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we flew along the track, found the fellow that had been working on it with his dog, and he's sort of pointing up the track. So we went up there past the Tom Grogan station, which is the last property of civilization at the start of the Murray. Uh, and that sort of leads up to Mount Kosciuszko. So we were flying along there. And then we got a call from the New South Wales police that she had been sighted because she had green, like a green tracksuit on and carrying those two bags, which is a, a bit of a strange sight out on the, on the snowfield area. Um, that she was near the uh, base of Mount Kosciuszko. So we belted up there. It only took us a couple of minutes and searched around, went up some tracks, could, couldn't find her anywhere. So I thought, oh, she might have got into a car or she's still walking down the road and just hiding from us. So we landed uh, right beside the road and had a beautiful view up to Mount Kosciuszko. So Two of us went out and stopped cars going in either direction to say they'd seen this lady, they'd seen this lady, and a, and a ranger pulled up and said, uh, uh, yes, we're looking for her as well, but we've just had a report uh, that she's been seen in this car park area. That's where we were parked. Well, as we're talking, uh, a couple of New South Wales police cars came up, and they were from Threadbow and Perisher uh, to join in the search. And then behind them was a... Um, a New South Wales canine police unit with the dog squad had a beautiful big picture of a German shepherd on the bonnet and he pulled up and he's sitting in his car and he, he goes, where are you blokes from? We said, Melbourne. He said, geez, you're a long way from home. And I said, well, 
where are you from? He said, Liverpool and Sydney. And I said, well, you're a long way from home. <laughs> but he knew that he'd been in the New South Wales helicopters. And he said, where in the hell did this one come from? Ours aren't that big. And that's why he's going, where have you come from? You know, we're in our Victorian police uniforms. And it sort of took him by surprise because he didn't know that yeah. we were in the area. So we were just chatting away and and uh, they said, oh, well, we've – We'll go down and have a look there. And the reason for the dog that came up was if we had a last sighting of her, we could track her with the dog. That was the idea behind it because um, he was a tracking dog. So he said, oh, um, can you blokes go up, have a, have a hunt around, see if you can see her, uh, or, and we'll check with everybody that have they seen her. And she just seemed to have just disappeared. It, it just it was incredible. Uh, there was quite a few police up there and park rangers, so we had the area pretty well saturated. People walking back down from the Mount Kosciuszko that were walking up, they said, no, she hasn't come this way. So it was all a little bit strange. And he still kept going, I don't know, what you what you blokes, where did you come from? He kept on saying it. <laughs> and what it was, he's in a group from the dog squad. They have an explosive dog, tracking dog, and a uh, another type uh, sniffs out something or other. Well, anyway, they go around New South Wales, and at that stage, they were down at Threadbow with her giving a hand to the local police, you know, on raids and missing people because of the that, that season. There's heaps of people there, and uh, I said, "Well, you've got a good job." And he goes, "No, well, you've got a good job." <laughs> so it was, it was quite a bit of banter backwards and forwards. <laughs> and after after we'd searched the area again, again. If we've spooked her and she's hiding, well, she's going to come back out again if we landed and shut down. So we did that. And then we got a report she was walking into Threadboat. So they took off down there and bang, they got her. And uh, she had to go for a little bit of an assessment at the local hospital. But uh, that was quite different. Just the look on this canine unit, the handler's face, you know, where are you yeah. from? And, you know, I'm just thinking how far away would, like the fact that she's got a couple of um, Coles shopping bags, and no, we're not being Mm -hmm. paid by Coles, by the way, um, but the fact that she's got a couple of shopping bags and she's walking to Bansdale, that's a bloody long way, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yep, that's why they wanted to found pretty quickly uh, because I I think she would have, because of the weather, and the way she was dressed, and just two plastic bags. So, uh, there was a, but uh, yeah, but uh, we thank heavens we found her because uh, it's rather thick, you know, scrub around that neck of the woods. So it would have been interesting. But just this look on this bloke's face, you could see him look at the helicopter. He looked at us, looked back at the helicopter, you know, uh, where are you from? <laughs> it's funny. We've got Victorian police written on our shoulder, but they just, just threw him completely, poor bloke. I was just thinking to myself um, when you were saying that, I thought the joke was that um, when he said, where are you from, I thought, well, mate, I'm standing next to the biggest fucking <laughs> chopper you've ever seen in your life that's got Victoria Police all over it and I've got a, a uniform that says Victoria Police. I thought, you know, I felt like saying, what What did he think you were from buddy computer crime or something? Seriously. <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to ask you, you said then I – I've never heard of the expression an explosive dog. Now, 
I think you'd better explain that to the listeners because I had to do a double take and think what would that be. Uh, it just sounds funny. It's not an exploding dog, clearly. <laughs> okay. Just so I'm using a few police terms. Uh, the other dog was a drug dog, drug, drug detection dog. So he's used on, on drug raids and things like that, sniff out drugs, all types of drugs. And then the tracking dog is the one that actually locates or does missing people. And the, the explosive dog doesn't explode, but he can sniff out <laughs> different types of explosives. <laughs> so if they, if depending on the raids, uh, if they're looking for, you know, stolen dynamite and things like that, well, that's where the explosive dog comes into it because that's what he's trained for. And you've got the drug dog and the, the tracker. And uh, that's they work in a team uh, to cover all the country areas of uh, New South Wales, which was good. I'm just thinking, um, have you ever, like, would a dog go up with you in the chopper, like whether that be a drug dog or explosive dog or a tracking dog, have they ever been in the chopper and how do they um, uh, how do they manage being in that chopper because it's so bloody loud and it stinks a bit? <laughs> uh, quite a few times. We do used to do training with the dog squad. Uh, I'd run the training for that where they bring them out as puppies and get used to the noise and the smell and jumping in and out and then they're a bit older, they come in and out with a with a handler and, a, and an older dog uh, just to get them used to it, take them for fly because they think it's great. Uh, but you've got to be very careful because the dog doesn't know that you're a copper and if you put your arm in the way, uh, like I casually did one day, put mine on the back of the seat and this little jaw came across and went, chomp. <laughs> you know, hello. <laughs> Didn't bite, just hello. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, d- depending on the job, we used to um, uh, take especially tracking dogs, you know, like offenders from a stolen car have all bolted off into the bush. Uh, we would then take the pick up the dog, take the dog, you know, say it was down Geelong or Ballarat or Bendigo or something, which is much quicker for us to get there, and the um, the scent or the track is fresh. So we let the dog out, and the dogs used to know that if they were going in the helicopter, they were, get, they were going somewhere good, and they get very excited, but I wish they wouldn't eat so many pal and moody bites <laughs> <laughs> when they're in the – because they get excited. <laughs> So it's a rather interesting aroma inside the helicopter. I reckon everybody would be blaming everyone and you could actually – I was just going to be terribly rude then and say you could let one go and then say it was – you could always say it was the dog. Dog, yeah, correct. (laughs) But the dogs used to love it. They used to love it. And even the little puppies, they'd have them in the back of the van watching the helicopter and the blokes do their training. And these poor, you know, very young German shepherds, and they're woof, 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 you know. You take them out there and they'd run around and and want to jump into the helicopter. And uh, that's – we – did that lots of times and at one stage when we we're having a lot of um, school break-ins, we were working with education security because we would get the call even before the local police did and we used to carry a dog around with us and the idea was that school's being broken into and they, you'd know what type of uh, break-in it is by where the alarms are going off. Oh, that's, I'll leave it at that. But uh, we'd land on the oval, bang. Out, out the dog goes and 
that either the people would be running from the building because the helicopters just landed or they would stay still. And we did that one day and the alarms were being broken. So, yes, we're monitoring it. Yes, yes, yes. We landed with the dog. Dog ran out. The ground units came in to cordon the area off and uh, we arrested Polly the parrot and got out of his cage. <laughs> oh, one of your more famous arrests, Doug. Ah, uh, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so poor old Polly's going, what the hell's going on out here? Because he's sitting at the window watching us because he's a very tame parrot because he'd been flying around. Heard the helicopter come down and, and stop, so the alarm stopped. Yeah, we arrested oh. Polly the parrot. Uh, actually, just while you're talking about arrests, have you ever um, been in a situation where you've had to arrest, like generally the uh, the air wing are there to save people, take them, you know, to hospital and all that, but have you ever had to arrest anybody like while you're um, doing something with the chopper at a scene yes. or anything? Yes, yes, quite. Well, a lot of the crews have, uh, have arrested uh, people. Uh, the one that best one that I did was there was a pursuit along the highway towards uh, Ballarat, and the tog, the highway patrol blokes were behind them. All the local police uh, they crashed into a ditch. They got the woman at the car, but the bloke was running across the paddocks. Hmm. And he was later on. We found out he was a a, a well known car thief from Ballarat. Mm. But we must have we got there just at the right time to see the police pointing down the paddock. And here's this bloke hell for leather across these open paddocks with a um, backpack on. So what we did we ha- we did a thing called herding cats, <laughs> where we, where we would uh, we would fly in front of him and dip the blade. So the wind would be, and the dust and that would be pushing against him, not close that we're going to chop his head off or anything, far enough away, big open paddocks, and then he'd run the other way. So we'd swing right round and do the same thing. And it was just enough to upset his, his running. And so he did that quite a few times. But uh, what looked funny was, was the farmer coming down the paddock uh, with two coppers on the back of his ute with his dogs. <laughs> they're hanging onto the, the bar at the back and the dogs are hanging out the side and they're belting down the paddock. And it, oh, God, it looked funny. Um, so this bloke started to steam a little bit. You could see he was getting tired. So I said, no, a little bit more. And then I told the pilot to land. So I jumped out and I actually tackled him. And uh, he then uh, was uh, taken away by the, uh, by the locals. Wow! Now that now that that is impressive, um, but also uh, that is very very I assume precision driving or whatever you call it piloting with the chopper because uh, as you say it wouldn't be mm-hmm. hard really to hurt some like if a chopper um, blade hit you you'd be good night Irene oh yeah mm. yeah go on. Uh, no we we weren't that close we weren't that close uh, but it was enough to. The trouble was he was starting to run towards a farmhouse and we didn't want him to get into that area, so that's why we kept sort of shepherding him away and the downwash of the blades and the bit of the dust would stop him and then uh, as he was running away a bit more, he was slowing down, slowing down, and now it's time to get out and arrest him. Wow, how exciting. 
God. <laughs> um, and the other thing, Dave, is when you're saying that you're uh, running to arrest this bloke, so equipment-wise, can you tell us, uh, like, to run with equipment um, as just a, a quote, unquote, normal police person isn't easy because you've got, you know, all the equipment that we have. But do you have other equipment on top of that as a um, in the air wing? Yes, we always had to wear our survival vests or survival jackets, I should say, and that included the um, the life vest um, and the emergency EPIRB beacons, which is the emergency position indicating radio beacon, which means if you're in trouble, you can pull this and it sends off a distress signal. Uh, we had flares that we had to carry uh, and also a helicopter emergency egress device, and that was a... Um, scuba cylinder, small scuba cylinder, which if we crashed into water would give you about two minutes worth of air uh, to be able to extract yourself out of the helicopter. So, and that was rather heavy as well. So, as well as all the, um, we didn't wear ballistic vests because they're not much good if you crash into water, uh, make you go to the bottom. Uh, so, just a gun. Uh, ass batons and radio and all that bit, and then there was this. Uh, it is. It does weigh a fair bit. I'd say lots. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, – and so to be able to uh, run in that, uh, that must have been, yeah, amazing. Anyway, let's go uh, – then we we thought the boat sinking one was quite an interesting one. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, what the story is, again, we were just on a, a normal police shift and we had a – we were flying around, I think, about Hawthorne area and we got a call uh, that a boat was on fire and sinking off Phillip Island and there were no other boats available to go out and assist them. Uh, so uh, away we went, you know, just turn left at Albuquerque and uh, <laughs> prepare for a, uh, a water rescue. So if we're flying along and they're saying, oh, yeah, it's a boat and because it, it's off Vicky's hometown because she's a Phillip Island girl. Mm-hmm. So um, I knew exactly where to go. So... As we're belting over, we look out into Bass Strait and there's this great plume of black smoke. And so as the highly trained crew we are, we went, oh, I reckon that might be it. <laughs> 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 you know, millions of dollars worth of a helicopter and lots of training. <laughs> oh, yeah, I reckon where the black smoke is because there's nothing else out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got to have these have these lighter moments. So what it was was uh, there's a water f- police um, fella, and he was taking a boat around from another port back around into um, Port Phillip Bay, and of course uh, it caught fire. And you've seen the pictures of it that I've sent you. Mm. Uh, that this fella is actually taken when he's in the life raft, which is uh, which is a pretty good effort. But he rang up. And he said, oh, you know, senior constable so-and-so, the boat's on. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Oh, and it's sinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because they... You know, coppers often play tricks on each other, so they all thought it was a bit of a joke, um, not knowing he had to bring his wife and say, no, oh, really, I am, I'm sinking. <laughs> <laughs> so no one had believed him. And then someone on Phillip Island spotted the smoke and went, oh, there must be something wrong out there. So sure enough, this thing just burnt to the to the waterline. So they were very lucky that three of them got off it, uh, had all the right equipment, had their repurbs, they had the um, which they set off, which helped because our signal meant that was right beside the black smoke. Yeah. So that confirmed that we were right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they were in a life raft. So uh, I I was the winch operator that day. So I said to the uh, the young girl that was the, um, the winch crewman, "Well, I'll send you down uh, into the raft, take out the the uh, kid first, and then we'll take out the two two blokes." And the last one out, make sure the emergency beacon's turned off because that sends signals out to every plane for miles and miles and miles. And imagine a, a Qantas jet flying back from Hobart. His, his indicators are going off that there's an emergency. Ah. So you don't want that still going off after everything is done. Okay. Yeah, so even planes flying to Sydney can pick it up. That, that You know, this is where this uh, – Emergency beacons going off. Oh, okay. Just another little side story. Uh, so she went down, got the kid, and he thought it was absolutely, he was about nine years old. He thought it was a great adventure. Oh, he would. <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and then we got the uh, the fella off, and then we got the actual bloke that uh, was skippering the boat. And what happened was he thinks that a uh, fuel line had burst, and when the boat stopped, he opened the hatches up to the engine, and of course, whoosh goes in the, the fresh air, and hey, presto, up she goes. So, uh, yeah, so that's our biggest uh, our find is we found the boat. <laughs> You just said something then, and I don't think I, I've ever realised, you said that she, there was a woman who was the uh, winch crewman or crew. crew. Yes. Um, how many women are um, in, on the, um, in the air wing as uh, rescuers? Oh, quite a few. Um, I suppose there'd, really? be, there'd be a good six or seven by now. Uh, we had uh, three at that stage because it's not a, exactly a – Easy task. You have to have the, uh, I suppose, the um, fortitude to be able to do that and then work the air ambulance as well and do search and rescue, as well as the normal police uh, shifts that we do. So, no, no, they're, they're all good. They're all um, – and she was very, uh, very um, – what would you call it? Proficient. Uh, very, very good at a job. Uh, so it's you've, – you've, and again, you just trust each other. You've all been trained, um, mainly by me, but that's another story. <laughs> um, uh, so it's, uh, it's yeah, we're all trained the same. We're winch crewmen, winch operators, uh, micro paramedic assistants, so we just swap from machine to machine. But, and, but, Dave, uh, but Dave, I've always, and this isn't going to sound right, but I've always thought that women – just don't just the way that we're made up that we don't have the physical strength that a man does um, it, it, have you just pardon the pun but blown that um, right out of the water yes they still have to have the same physical past the same physicals as the men do um, mm. so yeah they're all yeah, you know, they might be tiny, but they're also strong, and it's the it's their doggedness that I think gets them through as well. Uh, it's to be able to do the job, and it, it, it works because we have, we have no problems um, with them winching us down or us winching them down. So we all just tr- you know trusted each other to do the job at hand, depending on what it was. Yeah, no, they were quite good. They're all good. Oh, and and I don't doubt that they're good. Like, but but I. I'm actually really surprised that a um, well, what you're saying is that a female uh, winch operator crewman does have the same physical strength um, that a man does, and because I'm just wondering if, uh, and again, this is going to sound wrong, but with the Sydney to Hobart, you know that enormous amount of physical strength you needed for that going down into the water and pulling people up could. It's going to sound wrong, but could a woman do that as well? Yes. As a matter of fact, they did during the Sydney to Hobart. There was a um, two female crewmen from the ambulance from Canberra uh, that went there to do rescues. Right. So, again, it just comes back to training, comes back to your ability to do the job and your mindset to be able to do the job. Sure, they, they might not be as strong, mm. but, uh, you know, you just they 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 do it, and there has never been a problem from the girls that we've had. They're all you know police women, done their time out in the street and you know different squads and things like that. Uh, so 
um, yeah, so there's no problems with having uh, women rescue crewmen. And I think they've even got more now um, that, uh, you know, sometimes like some of the men don't make it because of the type of work we do. Some of the women didn't make it because of the the work they do. Okay. So. Because I always thought on a, um, and I've always said this, um, and now you're making me think maybe I'm wrong, but in a div van, I always thought that the best combination was a male and a female. And I've always mm-hmm. thought that that was because uh, generally the, a male is physically stronger than a female and I'd have to say generally females are emotionally um, maybe not stronger but that their emotional um, uh, their emotional intelligence um, and their oh, um, their um, what would you call it their nurturing sort of um, um, their nurturing part I've always thought that's why a male and a female work well together but again maybe I'm wrong maybe they are as strong. Physically, yep. Physically. Probably not as strong physically. Well, which is, you know, sort of impossible. But they are um, because they can. Do, they do exactly the same things as what we do. Um, as a male, they did exactly the same air ambulance jobs, rescues. Um, might take a bit more out of them, but uh, it's all about technique and not strength. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does a lot. And uh, once you've got your technique down, uh, your strength sometimes plays a part, but it uh, it it sort of it's it's I suppose it's a strange sort of an area, but they they all did it to the best of their ability, and I had no no qualms at all. Anyway, so poor old, poor old Rachel, she went down and plucked these three out of the out of the water, out of the life raft. Oh, that yeah, that. As you say, your powers of observation, Dave, like, you know, that's mind-blowing that you can see smoke in the middle, you know, nine k's out of uh, off land and you think, well, that might be where the boat is. <laughs> <laughs> Highly trained crew we had that day. <laughs> and we all agreed, so that was good. <laughs> um, tell me about the pa- – or tell the listeners about the paraglider. Oh, that's that's, a, that's another interesting one. It's uh, again. I was working the air ambulance, and we got a call for a it was down near Bell's Beach, and we got a call for a hang glider that had gone into the side of the cliff, which is quite normal. Um, but he didn't fall down the cliff; he got wedged onto a ledge. So we flew down there and land. I think you've seen the photos of it as well, mm. and. We had a look at it and went, hmm, it's going to be interesting. So the, we talked about how to do it. And while we were doing our sort of assessment and risk assessment of the job, a fellow walked up to me and said, G'day, Dave, how are you? And I turned around and it was Dr. Peter Meekle. Now, where the six degrees of separation come into this, he was <laughs> yeah. the one of the ones on board the yacht Kingara in the 1998 Sydney to Hobart that was hanging on to John Campbell after the boat had righted itself. So he was hanging on to him when he got washed off, washed away from him. Um, And, you know, we'd seen each other a few times in between that, but 
here he is. At the, we are in the middle of nowhere, and he just rocks up. I said, y- "You've got a thing. You attract everything that goes wrong. <laughs> You're the common denominator." He said, oh, "I had nothing to do with this one." <laughs> so, it was quite, quite a good, uh, a, a good bit. So we, I said, "Oh, we're a bit busy at the moment. We'll have a chat when we bring this fellow on up onto the top of the cliff." So the, because he was in a precarious position, the, um idea was to he was going to get lowered down the, the paramedic with a stretcher and with a SES um, high angle rescue type person and they were going to set him up do the assessment treat him and put him in the stretcher I was then going to fly over the cliff and very gin- very sort of slowly so not to dislodge any too many rocks on top of them so we then uh, lowered the hook down, he hooked up, did his checks, and we brought him up to the helicopter. And we kept him outside on the uh, stretcher because if we tried to manhandle him inside, it's too much of a sort of jolting and we didn't want to do any more injury to him. Mm-hmm. So we put him on the ground and I think you've seen the photo, he's, he's on the ground in the stretcher and I'm talking to him and... And he's saying, I've had a bad day. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. uh, Yeah, that was basically my response, (laughs) or words to that effect. (laughs) (laughs) So we put him on that stretcher, uh, and then we put him on the proper stretcher that goes in the back of the ambulance, and then we took him up to the the Alfred Hospital. So he had a few broken bones, I suppose. Well, in the hang glider, you've you've gone off the top. It's swung around and ploughed straight into the cliff. So it was a good uh, probably 150 feet off the beach. So we had to be very careful with him. Yeah, but poor, poor old Dr. Peter Meekle, he's going, what are you doing here? Oh. So it was quite uh, quite funny. And um, just for those, you just was talking then about how Dr. Meekle was um, hanging on to John who was eventually swept overboard and you saved him. Um for those who um, haven't listened, could you just maybe touch on that race and prob- um, basically the Kingara, what what your involvement there was? Yes. Uh, well, uh, we had got a call to an emergency beacon going off in Bass Strait. So we said, well, we'll go out and have a look at it and see what it is. You know, it could be someone swept overboard or a yacht's engine's broken or mast, demasted and it's set off an emergency beacon. Hmm. And uh, so as we go down there, there's more beacons going off and I think it was about 19 by the time we got down there. And the big thing was the wind because our helicopter did 240 kilometres an hour flat out when we were doing 420. So, And, of course, what we didn't know, that it was actually two cyclones uh, and just – bit more than a strong wind. So we've got directions to go out to um, one of the yachts and then we were diverted from that to another yacht and then diverted to the Kingara because the fellow had just been washed overboard. And it's about 120 kilometres offshore. So we we went out there and uh, we flew over the Kingara. We could see all the fellows on the back just pointing in the water. So the pilot just... uh, Turned the aircraft and, of course, the wind just pushed us backward. By the time he collected it, uh, would you believe we were right over the fellow that had been washed off? And that was um, young Campbell. But uh, Peter, uh, when the boat was demastered and it was uh, flipped upside down, uh, John was actually up the top. He smashed his face on the uh, compass 
and he was still tethered on his um, rescue line, uh, but he was off the side of the boat in the water. So Peter was pulling him in, grabbed his arm, and, of course, they were hit by another wave, and, of course, he just got washed away. So uh, he was a, a very lucky boy. But yeah, Peter uh, sort of blames himself a little bit for what happened to him, and what happened to John, because he was the hanging on to him and he just couldn't hang on. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was just going to say um, I could imagine um, being Peter and you hanging on to somebody and really their life was in your hands. I can imagine feeling very, very um, guilty if something terrible happened, but John lived, you know. Mm, mm. But still, I understand that would be an awful, awful situation to be in, to know that you're losing grip on somebody that is relying on you to to Mm. live, really. Mm. Mm. But just him, him being there at this accident, you know, the hang glider yeah. accident, everywhere you go, something goes wrong, I mean, it's your fault. <laughs> so, but uh, we're still keeping contact with Peter. You know, we've had breakfast with uh, he and his wife and it's yeah. just a, a bit of a bond there as well. So there you go. That's uh, our, yeah. our day, day out in the office. <laughs> uh, now, the next one is probably uh, be close to my favourite, uh, the hikers. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of my favourites too. It's just the, it's amazing the things you think about years and years later. Yeah, and you know there are good jobs and bad jobs and yeah. funny jobs and sad jobs. Yeah, but this yeah. Was, this this was a gotcha job. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it was, well, chalk one up to the police for this one. Yeah, okay, what the story is that uh, we were called up to the Mount Feathertop. Hotham Razorback area up up the up in the north there uh, for bushfires that were coming through, and there were still hikers and um, walkers in front of the fire area because it was coming up fairly quickly up to the top of Mount Feathertop, and then it would just race along the Razorback and uh, just trap everybody. So we were tasked to uh, to go up there because they had. The rangers always have a list of cars and people's details, um, as in, you know, John Smith, Fred Nurks and all the rest of it, uh, and the car regos because they were also put in a book. And they said there's X amount of people still out there that we can't account for. So we would fly along and, yep, that's that group. We'd land, right, what's your name? Tick, pass that back onto the rangers, the park rangers, and so we could try and account for everybody. And then as we got up further, there were people in tents, right, pull your tent down. At this stage, it wasn't dire, but it was get off the hill now. And a few of the older type people we actually brought back in the helicopter, uh, but the younger ones were saying, aren't you going to take us for a helicopter ride? No, walk that way. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, so that was quite good. Uh, so, yes, we'd done a few uh, laps up and down, accounting for everybody. These people are walking out. They're still walking out. And so we went up and checked the other side of Feathertop. We could actually see the fire coming up Mount Feathertop. Okay. So we uh, – the essay counter for everybody, that was terrific. Right, you can go back to Bright. So we spent the night and then very early in the morning we got uh, went for a briefing up at the police station. The ranger said, can you go back over and do another run just in case that somebody hasn't registered and now they've seen the fire and they're now trying to get out? Because it's quite a hike from the top of Feathertop back to the car park. 
near Hotham. Anyway, so we, we started up and we we're just heading off to Mount Feathertop and a, the rangers had informed them that there was two cars, new cars, parked in the car park, but there was no names or anything in the books. So they went, oh, quick, can you go out and see if you can find them? Mm. So we flew along and sure enough, five or six people just dawdling along towards the fire. And so we circled them. They didn't budge or do anything. They just kept walking. So we landed in front of them. Uh, and the pilot, very good pilot, had the two front wheels on the track. The front nose was hanging over the edge one side and the tail was hanging over the other oh, side. God. So he's just got it sitting on the track. That's why they call it Razorback because it's so skinny. Okay. It's just a, a bushwalking track on top of a big hit, you know, uh, ridgeline. So I hopped out of the helicopter and walked back towards them and I've said, uh, you know, uh, can you turn round? and uh, go back because there's a bushfire coming. And their response was, you can't order us to go back. You haven't got the authority. Uh, technically, they're right because it's uh, it's rangers that have got the authority. And I said, no, we're going to have a look at the, the fire. Well, for a start, they've got to get around a very big helicopter that's parked in their way. But they were very sort of um, entitled, if you get my drift, Yes. And I, as they started, two of them walked past me and in the middle of the group, I'm just sort of saying, okay, can I have the name of your dentist? And they're just looking at me, what, what do you want that for? You know, that real smart ass way they say it. And I said, well, when we find your burnt bodies up the track further, we can identify you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the penny dropped and they're off. Back down towards the car park, and I think, and then we told the ranger, I think you better have a little chat to these people. Uh, You know, isn't it funny? You just said then that they're entitled, you know, they had that entitled sort of a a demeanor. I I think it's funny how people like that think. And clearly they're the sort of people that don't think rules apply to them, that it applies to everybody else, but they're not <laughs> going to register their car, they're not going to register their names. You know, who are they to tell us what to do? Oh, that must be infuriating for the rangers and people like that. Mm, but I just I just came uh, – it was just something I just plucked out of my head at the time and uh, <laughs> that, that, that hit a chord with them. You know, what's the name of your dentist? So uh, they sort of – and would you believe the – that was in the morning. Well, that afternoon the fire had passed through that whole area and it actually was starting to go into the Mount Hotham um, ski resort area. So mm. it was moving pretty quickly through that whole neck of the woods. This is quite a few years ago. Um, so it just shows you that no matter what everybody puts in place, no, you know, park closed, fire, don't go in there. So what do they do? Just climb the fence. You know, so uh, that's, that's yeah, you, get, you, you do get frustrated with people like that but, no, you just you, – you work your way around it. You, you work them to your advantage. Yeah. No, I love that line with the dentist because, uh, yeah, I can imagine him thinking, what's he talking about? Yeah, a dentist? yeah. yeah fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. And uh, last but not least, I thought uh, – I did ask you, um, have you ever had to save somebody that you knew? Yes. And you told me that you had? Yes. Um, experienced that. Can you tell us about that? 
Okay, again, working the air ambulance, uh, we've got a call up to the back of Seymour because normally you just get the initial call. It was car versus tree, two trapped. Okay, so you've got an idea of what's going on then and as you get closer, the road ambulance are there, they give you an update and uh, the coppers get there and give you an update so you get a bit more of an idea of what you're actually launching yourself into because uh, my job it was uh, to assist the paramedic I'm not MICA trained or, or ambulance trained, but we do a, a, quite a big course to do that type of work because most AMBOs are, are work two up, while our blacks only work one up. So we were their second second pair of hands and eyes. If they wanted something, we used to do it, draw drugs up, get equipment. And so I'm the MICA's hands as well. You know, while he's busy, I'm, I'm getting everything for him. So uh, we're discussing... What, what to, to think we were going to get ourselves into. Hmm. So we landed and because it's probably about 10.30 at night, uh, CFA, SES, uh, police. So uh, we got out and we had a handover and by the ambulance officer who said, oh, two blokes trapped, uh, one's got two broken femurs and the other one's just badly uh, banged around and lacerated by the uh, laminated windscreen. <laughs> so we said, right, so they said, oh, the one with the two broken femurs, we're just monitoring. We just look because, you know, we can't get to him in the car. He's stuck in the car. So we got up there and uh, the Ambo and myself, Micah Ambulance fellow and myself, went up to the car and saw that he's, he was hugging the tree but his legs were wrapped around it and he's looking at his toes. He, your legs don't bend that way. So he's got two snap femurs oh and he's, so he's wrapped around the tree the wrong way. So that uh, we thought, oh, you know, one broken femur, uh, two, you could see where uh, they were bleeding and into it because they hadn't protruded out of the skin. Oh, so God. they were having a discussion on, on what we could do, and they said, oh, could you go into – they said to me, can you go into the car and attach him to the equipment? And this equipment measures blood pressure, heart rate, oxygen level, and it's all recorded, you see. Mm-hmm. So we could um, ascertain what we could do. So as I go towards the back of the car, I'm climbing in through the back window, which is broken, the back uh, window of the car, and on the ground I noticed an army sleeping bag and a jaffalaya. Now, the only people in the world that would have that would be military people that are armoured corps because that's what you live on is you live with your sleeping bag and your jaffalaya to cook up something to eat. So I thought, oh, obviously army blokes. So climbed in, uh, wriggled around in there, and I started to fit uh, the pressure cuff on his arm, the dots on his chest, to start, and the pulse oximeter on his finger, and set the equipment up. And just as I'm doing that, I'm sort of, sort of half kneeling down. He, he sort of said, "G'day, Dave. How are you?" And I went, "Oh, I won't mention his name, but I went, oh, holy crap." <laughs> And uh, and then he proceeded to vomit all over my boots. So I thought, oh, great. So he was the he was the passenger. So they managed to drag the driver out. We thought, and because I'm talking to the Ambo, I'm in the car. He's outside, and there are other Ambos are there. We thought, How are we going to get him out? Because yeah. because at this stage you're starting to fill him with morphine and things like that, and he's starting to sort of settle down. Because he said, oh, can you get the pressure off my legs? And the trouble is, if we moved him. He just screamed in agony because, you know, you imagine all your bones just grinding together. Yeah, so we're going, oh, how are we going to get him out? And 
we thought about cutting the bottom of the car off and dragging him out that way, but it was just it was little Gemini, and it was just too far wrapped around the tree, and it just like it had welded mm. itself to the tree. Mm. And uh, we're, we're just chatting away inside there, so he was quite lucid. Uh, just he said he's got pressure on his legs. So a bit more morphine, a bit more morphine, and that sort of quieted him down a fair bit. And so with the SES and the CFA, everybody's discussing what they can do. We're sort of saying, well, if you, if you nibble away at the front of the car, we might be able to drag that out because don't forget there's still petrol fumes and, and leaking petrol and things like that, so you have to be – be careful with what you do. Mm. So after about an hour and a half to two hours of just slowly cutting the car to pieces, because um, every time you move the car, of course, he'd scream. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you're sort of going, oh, I'm going, all right. It's, and because all he had on was a, just a pair of shorts because it's during summer. And uh, so we bandaged him up where he'd had other injuries. And we finally got a hole near his feet and we said, this is probably going to hurt a bit. But we had oh. to straighten his legs up uh, to splint them to be able to move the rest of his body around because otherwise he's just got two floppy bits. So it was all done very gently, very quietly. There was no one, you know, um, trying to rush anything. And we finally did that and sort of eased him around the tree and then eased him out. And the reason I knew him when I was in the regular army he was um, in another squadron, so we, we, we knew each other. And, of course, I got out, joined the police force, and then joined the air wing, and this was about 10 years later um, that uh, I was in the reserve and sort of, um, you know, hi, how are you type of thing, waved to each other. But then when I went up for one army week, uh, he was there. And I, th- <laughs> I thought, oh, they would have discharged him because of the injuries. Yeah. And But because he was young... He was fit, um, and that's what saved him. Uh, because when I put the equipment on him, expecting everything to be what we call down in their boots, uh, their blood pressure's down, their heart rate's down, everything's just slowly going, his was as strong as anything. And we thought, of, oh, jinx. And, yeah, and today he runs marathons. <laughs> wow. So we still keep in contact, very close contact. Um, yes, yeah, so he, he runs marathons, not very quickly, uh, but he does he does run them, and he, he's still in the still in the army today. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, when you just said then that about his floppy bits, um, you know, the the legs. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I've got a couple of those myself. But anyway, <laughs> right, all right. Now, okay, I think uh, well, that's enough stories uh, for today. Seriously. Look, you, you've got a million, um, but but thank you again. Uh, That's all right. Your stories always amaze me with what you did, how you saved lives on a daily basis. Really, it was almost routine. But I do have to go because I've got to get up the shops and get my <laughs> chicken and Thai curry, curry tonight yeah. for, for dinner. <laughs> uh, okay, it's not a problem, Narelle, not a problem at all. No, thank you so much for sharing again with us, Dave. And uh, uh, hello to Vicky. Yeah, I'll have to find out what's on for tomorrow night's tea too. Yes, yes. All right, Dave. Okay. Thank you. Righto. Bye-bye. See ya. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening. 
and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.